Well, it is a joy to be here this morning, and I want to say my uh, love for your pastor and admiration for him has uh, been there a long time. I appreciate the good work that he's done here leading your church, and not only that, but I also want to commend you for the excellent job y'all have done with the Flaming Torch. What a blessing that has been to so many people, and so we thank the Lord for that. And just the honor of being here, I am glad to have my wife Pam here, and of course, You'll get acquainted with her by far the far better half, but you know, we guys understand that. When, when I was a boy, my dad used to give me a lot of counsel in the garden. How many of you are gardeners in here? Yes, my dad loved to garden. I gardened, but I didn't share his love for it because when I was a kid, that seemed like work more than fun. Uh, I did like to see stuff sprout up from the ground. I always loved the fruit of it, but I would say to my dad, dad could never do anything in a small way. And he'd have this massive garden, and I'd say, Dad, there's more here than we could possibly ever eat. And he'd say, well, son, we can give this away and be a blessing to so many people. And I said, well, why don't they come and help us weed this thing, work this thing, and be a blessing to us? But he didn't see the wisdom in that. But one of the things my dad gave me in counsel when I was a young man, he said, when you find the will of God for your life, she'll complete the picture. And he said, in your case, it'll improve the picture. So I'm thankful for the wife God's given me. Miss Pam, raise your hand back over there. We're delighted that she could be here and honored to be here with you. And as we get acquainted this morning in the Sunday school hour and then throughout the meeting, we're just praying that God will meet with us in a very, very special way. My family roots are in Missouri. My dad and mother were both raised around the Poplar Bluff area. My dad left there. Um, to join the military during World War II, and he served. And I often think about this as I have preached now over in, in areas where Dad was at in the war and, and uh, would go there. I remember sitting in Guam watching a film strip at the World War II uh, Museum there, and they're showing the battle. And I tried to envision in my mind, he was 17 when he went in, and uh, imagine hardly having left Butler County and all of a sudden, you're in the middle of a war. And I tried to envision what that would be like at that time, you know, 18, 19 years of age, seeing all of that take place. And, uh, you know, uh, my dad longed for the opportunity to go back, maybe after, of course, he got out of the service and got right with God and got called to preach. That didn't happen, but I was honored to go and be in some of those places where he had once been fighting in a battle to be able to preach the Word of God. What an honor that was. And and, uh, but I'm grateful for the Christian heritage. My uh, dad was a preacher, and of course he's been in heaven since 2000. Mother went to heaven in 2013. So um, I feel very comfortable being in the state of Missouri. I really do. And I want to just say, um, as we get acquainted, because I am a preacher's kid, I love my parents, but you know, uh, I had five sisters, and I was the only boy. And I just want to pause and say that it's cruel and unusual punishment. I complained often. In fact, is when our youngest sister was born, my dad said I was four when she was born, and he said you were in her bedroom saying, Lord, this isn't what we asked for. Take her back. And uh, dad had to explain to me it doesn't work like that. But anyway, I wanted a brother. They eventually adopted my brother, uh, and of course, he's in heaven. So, uh, But I, had, I was grateful for that, but I was 16 when Jeff came into our home, so a little late for reinforcements. I love to give my sisters a hard time, of course, I have four living sisters, and I love to pick on them when I'm in meetings. But one time I was saying something about them, and I didn't know. 
they just started doing live stream. And one of my sisters, it was a, a conference I was speaking at, and she just happened somehow in Florida to run across me talking about them in Arkansas. And uh, boy, she said, I began to say to the computer, he is not being honest with those people. We were so good to him. I can't believe that he's going to stand up there and lie from the pulpit. And she called me as soon as service was over and said, hey, I, I demand equal time. I said, no, that's not how preaching works. You, you don't get equal time. And besides, I'm telling it the way I remember it. Because my dad had a rule, you never hit a girl. I don't know if he had a rule that girls never hit boys, but if he had that rule, they didn't know it or they violated it severely. But anyway, it would have been good if I'd have been the oldest and could have ruled the kingdom or if I'd have been the youngest and they would have spoiled me. But I was right in the middle, and so they just all beat the daylights out of me. But anyway, uh, and I love to complain about it, but Friday I preached my aunt's funeral. My dad's sister went to be with the Lord, and his three youngest sisters uh, were still living up until Aunt Faye passed away. And I said at the funeral, it was how much I loved my aunts. You know, when I was a kid, I thought, man, she was really, you know, a lot older than me. And then as uh, I get ready to do her funeral, I realized we're only 12 years apart. But when I was a kid and we'd go visit uh, my three aunts that were still at home, they always, always, boy, they just made over me and spoiled me and treated me so right. And, and I used to tell my sisters, I wish y'all would be as good to me as Aunt Shirley and Aunt Faye and Aunt Bobby Louise. And they would say, yeah, but they only have to put up with you for maybe one week out of the year. We got you every day. If they knew you like we knew you, they'd treat you like we treat you. But anyway, my dad said, though, that it was partly my fault that I was an agitator. And I couldn't believe that. But, you know, we lived in a parsonage right next to the church for eight years with one bathroom and five sisters. So my shift was after midnight and before 6 a.m. And... Uh, and I probably did irritate them a little bit because I can remember standing outside the bathroom door and one of them would finally come out and I'd say, that's it? You've been in there an hour and that's the best you could do? You'll probably be single the rest of your life. But anyway, so maybe I was a little bit of an agitator. Take your Bibles this morning. Go to Isaiah chapter 40, if you would. Isaiah chapter 40, very, very familiar verse of Scripture. I'll start there, read a couple others. And I don't want to talk to you in the, in the Sunday school hour. Man, we're living in such perilous times. Isn't it interesting in our Bible it says, In the last days perilous times shall come, and yet we're so shocked that these are perilous times. Now listen, I'm not discouraged today. I'm not defeated today. I'm not downhearted today. But I do believe that we're living in the last days. I really do. And I believe that there's a lot of craziness going on in our world. There's a lot of confusion going on in our world. There's a lot of complications going on in our world. And we recognize that. Yet Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, you know this verse, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. In Psalm 27 and verse 13, the psalmist said, I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know, if I lived my whole life based on what the news media said, I'd be depressed, wouldn't you? If I lived my whole life based upon what society is doing, man, I'd be so downhearted and so discouraged and so defeated. But I want you to understand our faith and our confidence and our trust is in the Lord. I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know, it's pretty exciting to be a child of God. 
we have so much craziness going on in our world, and yet we're reminded in Galatians 6, 9, and be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know, this isn't a time to quit. This is not a time to throw in the towel. I want to talk to you for a little bit this morning in the Sunday School Hour on reasons not to be weary. Now I want to think about that because there is so much weariness in our day and age. There are many reasons that Satan would offer for us to get weary and just quit or faint or fall by the wayside. There's a lot of pressures in life going on. By the way, let me say to the young people, as you face the pressures of life, let me remind you that we serve a true and living God. Mom and Dad, if there's anything that we could do to help our children, they need to know that God is real. Not just a figment of our imagination, not just a religious formality we go through, but we serve a real God that hears and answers our prayers. And the songwriter said he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. I told you I grew up in a preacher's home. I got saved August 12, 1970. But there was never a time in my life that I didn't believe there was a God. God was too real. I had seen him work. I had watched God answer prayers in my family. I had seen God work in my parents' life in such a way that it never dawned on me to think there wasn't a God. You say, well, preacher, weren't there people telling you? Sure. I grew up in in the early days of my life in public school. I heard people say there was no God, but he was too real. I mean, he was working in our family. He was working in our church. I observed enough things as a young man to know God was real. And mom and dad, you know, it's easy for us to express our frustrations in life, our, you know, our difficulties, our challenges. But our children also need to know that we can take our burdens to the Lord and leave them there. They need to know that we do serve a God that hears and answers prayer, that he really does fellowship with his children, that, that we serve a, a risen Savior, the song writer said he's in the world today I know that he is living whatever man may say how do you know he's alive well I know because he lives within my heart and what a blessing and our children need to know that they need to be able to see the realness of God and yet the devil would offer the pressures of life or this pandemic that has hit us and its effect on our society boy I don't mind to tell you there's not if you're honest there's probably not one person in here that hasn't struggled at times with all that's gone on in this craziness of the last year and a half. There are things that that I do. You know, we get in our routine and we really don't like to get out of it. We have things that we like to do and all of a sudden everything gets interrupted and regardless of what your thoughts are on it, we've all had to face some challenges and, and try to figure some course of action out. We can agree, disagree with how everything's being handled, but the reality is all of us have had to face some challenges in dealing with it. And uh, I was, uh, I had just returned in the month of January from an annual trip over in the Philippines. And of course that was out for a while. We still haven't made that trip again. And we've gone there many, many times, I suppose 20 times now to the Philippines. We do a a pastor and workers conference there every year. try to be a help to pastors over there and the work that they're doing. And, and uh, we were getting ready to leave in March to go to Israel. And, you know, that got shut down. I'm talking about last year. And a lot of the things that, you know, we can make all the plans that we want to and life can just kind of change. But can I tell you, God's still on the throne. Um, you know, there were some things that happened that took me by surprise, but nothing takes God by surprise. Isn't that amazing? I'm glad that he's in charge. I had a friend years ago that I met through a... Uh, my cousin uh, was a businessman, and he was selling his business to a 
another gentleman who was a Christian, and I, we got acquainted through that business transaction. And as I got to know him over the years, I found out he owned many, many businesses. And as I began to realize the multitude of businesses that this guy owned, I asked him one day, I said, do you ever get overwhelmed? I mean, you know, uh, with all that you have going on at that time, uh, you know, he had a, a number of businesses. And of course, you know, just you can do in your head the realization that this guy is dealing with, you know, multi-million dollar businesses. And I said, does it ever overwhelm me? He said, you know, Brother Ken, he said, years ago, he said, I realized that the Lord never sleeps nor slumbers. He said, every night my wife and I have a little devotion. We pray together and say, well, Lord, I need to get some sleep. And since you never sleep or slumber, I'm going to leave it all in your hands and I'll see you in the morning. I said, man, what a great attitude to have. And he said, you know, the Lord takes care of it. When I get up the next morning, I say, now, Lord, I'm up, but I need your help today. So I can't do it without you. And boy, that, you know, that reminds me in my little corner of the world. I want to depend on the Lord. But there are many reasons. And, and we think about this, the pressures of society that we face. We must not quit no matter what. Let me just give you three or four things real quickly and we'll be done. Number one, the realization of our burdens. Now look, sometimes the burden gets heavy. There are things in life that we don't enjoy. There are things in life that we don't expect. Now we have a certain expectation. We know that it's appointed unto men once to die. We know that, don't we? We know that according to the Bible, short of the rapture taking place, everybody experiences death. We know that's going to happen. It's appointed unto men once to die. But you know, death, when it comes in an unexpected way, for instance, we may have a loved one that you know, gets up in years and, and uh, we know that it's inevitable that time is coming. But then I think about the phone call Miss Graham and I got shortly after we got married in uh, 1977. We were married in June. In October, we got a call. We'd gotten in that Thursday night. We'd been out on visitation for our church. Got a call that night just as we were getting to bed. And uh, the message was this. Karen is dead. My 22-year-old sister had been killed in a car wreck. Can I tell you something? I didn't see that coming on the horizon. I didn't have expectation of that happening. And you know, what a shock that was. What a, well, I don't mind to say what a disappointment it was from the human perspective. Now look, I know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I know that heaven's real. But our human side still sorrows, doesn't it? Aren't you glad for what Paul said? We sorrow not as others which have no hope. If Paul had said as believers we sorrow not and ended it right there, I would have said, man, I'm a pretty sorry believer. Because I don't mind to tell you, it broke my heart when my sister was killed. And it's been 44 years, and I still miss her. And there are times when I'll think about her and think about her life. Her husband at that time, of course, uh, you, 44 years later, he was 23 when my sister was killed. Man, you think about what a young age to experience something like that. And he and I are still uh, friends to this day. And, uh, and he's still like family to us this day. And life has moved on for him. And yet there is a sadness, there's a sorrow that comes in life sometimes when unexpected things happen. Sometimes the road gets heavy, sometimes the load gets heavy, sometimes we face things, maybe a sickness. I remember uh, in 1989, my mother had a little spot come up on her tonsil and, you know, she went to the doctor and they said, Miss Graham, you've got cancer. And uh, they did an a, uh, initial surgery to remove that uh, cancer and then realized that the cancer was very spread 
in there and so they set up for another surgery and and when they did the second surgery or the main surgery uh, with all that was involved both in taking out the cancer and reconstructing the left side of her uh, neck and face and taking part of her jawbone and part of her tongue when it was all said and done over 13 hours of surgery and then months of recovery and wondering if she would pull through or not and mother made it in 1989 cancer came back in 1991 my mother lived to 2013, and uh, so God, uh, of course, allowed her to live in spite of the cancer, but can I say, for the rest of her life, my mother faced some tremendous challenges. Her speech was forever affected because of the surgery. Um, eating was the greatest challenge she had. I took my mother to the doctor many, many times, and they would say, Miss Graham, you've got to gain weight. You've got to get do whatever you can. Drink milkshakes, whatever you can do. Miss Graham, we need to get you up to at least 100 pounds. Uh, you've got to gain weight. I'd leave the doctor's office. I'd say to mom, mom, you're living my dream. I just want to go one time to the doctor's office and have him say, Ken, look, you need to put on a little weight. You need to drink some more milkshakes. Now, when I go to the doctor, you know... Uh, the first thing they always say is, let's weigh. The nurse says, let's weigh. I say, okay, you go first. <laughs> and she always says, well, I don't want to weigh. I said, well, neither do I. <laughs> One lady told me, she said, well, i got to put something down. I said, uh, well, you don't have any idea how much I weigh? She said, I have no idea. I said, 185. She goes, I know that's not true. I said, okay. <laughs> then you do have an idea. I said, well, put what's in my shirt, big and tall. But anyway, so I said to her, uh, said to mom you're living my dream and my mother just laughed she said honey you're not going to hear that from the doctor probably the rest of your life and she's probably right and uh, but but that being said you know that was a challenge my mother I love this story she was laying in bed one night and she said boy the devil was just attacking her and just reminding her you'll never sing again mom used to sing with the family and sing with ladies in the church and and the devil just kept telling her, you'll never sing again. And mom said, I finally had all I could take. About 1 o'clock in the morning, I got out of bed, went in the living room. She said, I sat down at the piano and began to play, began to sing. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care. She said, I sang that song and then I sang another song. And she said, after a while, I looked over and said, devil, I may never sing again, but you can't have my song. I'll tell you, that is so important that we recognize God wants us to realize that as his children, we're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. We don't have to yield, but the burdens are great. But not only the realization of our burden, the reminder of our battle. Wow, we're, we're facing a lot of battles in this day and age we're living in. And, you know, our battle is different. We're in spiritual warfare. The Bible said in Ephesians chapter 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, he said, that ye might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And he said, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We are in a battle. The battle that we have is not battles that we can do in our flesh. Now, our flesh may involve, be involved in some of the battles, but it's not just like you can go out in the parking lot and settle this. It's a spiritual warfare. Can I say this about the battle that we're in, that we are in a very intense battle? And I think the reason that all the stops are being pulled out is because 
we are living in the last days. I think Satan's doing everything he can to try to attack every way that he possibly can. And the wiles of the devil, dear friend, are very clear and very plain. And we understand uh, that there's just three basic enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But we recognize that there is a great spiritual warfare going on. And it is a very intense battle. And the devil doesn't surrender easily. And we we get victory in this area of our life. We think, man, I've made it. And then here comes another area. And, and it just seems like it's an ongoing battle. It's intense. But I'll tell you something else. It's invisible. Yeah. You know, it'd be, it'd be one thing to battle if we could see the enemy. My cousin Tom, when he was a boy in school, there was a young man that wanted to, uh, for whatever reason, wanted to whip him. And Tom said, man, I was so scared because I knew this guy could hurt me. So he said every day as soon as school was over, he said, I'd run out the door as soon as the bell rang and run home just to make sure that guy couldn't get to me. And every day he'd be telling me, I'm going to whoop you after school. And he said, man, I'd run home. Finally, one day, his older brother, Larry, who's 10 years older than I am, said to him, why are you running home every day? He said, well, this guy at school wants to beat me up. He's a lot bigger than I am, and I don't want to get beat up. And Larry said, well, I'll tell you what, tomorrow when school's out, I'll pick you up. You point him out to me, and I'll take care of it. Tom said, all right, I got my big brother here. So, man, he was excited. His big brother showed up at school, and Tom walked out this time instead of running out. Goes to Larry's car. And uh, Larry said, point him out. And the guy came out, and Larry stepped out and said, hey, I understand you want to whoop my brother. He said, yeah, I do. He said, right, here he is. <laughs> and so anyway, <laughs> Tom said, and he whooped me. But anyway, uh, but he said, we never had any problems after that. And uh, Larry said, now quit running from a bully. And he said, he wasn't the help I thought he would be. Well, I'm glad our heavenly father and our savior doesn't treat us like Larry treated Tom. When the enemy comes against us, we can go to the Savior and he will stand with us and he will fight with us and he will handle our battles. But I think about this, it is an invisible battle. We can't always see the, it's one thing if you could say, well, there's my enemy. Now we might think that's our enemy, but behind the scene, there's always that invisible battle going on. And then let me say this, it is not only an invisible battle, but it's an interesting battle because we know who wins. We're on the winning side. We've read the back of the book. The Bible tells us what's going to happen. And so because of that, we can rest assured that we are on the winning side. Uh, I played some football in high school, and I can assure you that we never always knew the outcome. We might have thought, we might have felt like, we might have expected. My freshman year in high school was probably the best year our school had had in a long, long time. And we won every game that we played. And so our coach decided that we needed to take on a couple of the bigger schools in the state because, man, he said, you know, we're, we're just pretty good this year. And then we won uh, one of those two games. We lost one game that year against a team, and uh, we lost 14-6. to six, And you would have thought, listen, that we had purposely thrown the game away. We got on the bus. He was so mad at us. We, he wanted the season to end undefeated. It didn't happen like that. And man, we were just glad to come out of that game alive. But, you know, the reality is we don't always know in the ball games of life, whether it's baseball or basketball or football, the outcome. But when you're a child of God, you're on the winning side. And I'm grateful for that. Well, let's talk about some reasons not to quit the battle. The temptation's there. Why not give up? Man, this world is so crazy. There's so many problems. There's so many issues. 
Uh, it seems like, you know, we, we all had to face some challenges and still do in this time of, of this uh, pandemic that's gone on. And then not only that, but, you know, with the pressures of life and the burdens of life, I, I watched my parents, I mentioned them burying my sister, and four years later, my brother was killed in an accident at home. I watched my parents not bury one, but two of their children. A friend of mine, pastors up in uh, Michigan, I watched him bury a daughter who died of cancer, and she was a missionary, her and her husband, and then one of his sons that died of cancer, who was his right-hand man for 44 years, and uh, man, that was heartbreaking. And, and you know, I appreciate something he said that day. He said, I know my son's in heaven. I know my daughter's in heaven. I understand where they're at, but you know, it still hurts. You still feel the pain and the loss and the, and, and the, and the grief and the sorrow. And you know, the devil would have all of us think that the answer is to just throw in the towel, but that's not the answer. Why, why shouldn't we quit? Let me just give you a few things about that. Let me say we shouldn't quit because of the faith. Now, we ought to have a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't, you're not going to heaven. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You may not know the date that you got saved, but you better be able to know a day when you gave your heart to Christ. I was saved August 12, 1970. Every one of my children know my spiritual birthday. Every one of my grandchildren who are old enough uh, to understand know my spiritual birthday. Every person that attends Victory Baptist Church where I pastored uh, for 33 years, they all know my spiritual They've heard me say it so much. Listen, you don't have to know the date, but somebody ought to know your testimony. I preached my aunt's funeral Friday and she had written out a prayer just in her Bible, just a little prayer that we put in the program. And uh, her prayer was this, that uh, all of her children and including her uh, in-laws and all of her grandchildren, of course she had several great-grandchildren, that all of them would come to know the Lord as their Savior so that they could spend eternity together in heaven. You know, wouldn't it be sad if someone died and they didn't know the Lord. But even as people die without Christ, isn't it sad that many people who claim to know Christ have never shared their testimony with their own family? Miss Graham and I was in a church one time many, many years ago, and the preacher said, listen, some things have come up. We were going to have you over, and it's not going to work out. And, and uh, so um, I was to preach there Sunday morning and Sunday night, and and he said, if, uh, if I can't find anybody to have you, can you take care of yourself? So I said, sure, we'll be fine. We'll take care of ourselves. Well, we got to church. He said, hey, I, I did finally find somebody that would have you over. You know, it makes you feel really good, like <laughs> torture for their faith. And so we, we said, okay. I said, oh, preacher, we don't want to be a burden to anybody. No, no. He said, I, I asked around. Finally, this couple said they would do it. So we, we got to their home, and, you know, we're trying to make conversation, be polite, and get acquainted. These poor folks have gotten stuck with us. And so uh, I said to the gentleman, I said, uh, you, have you gone to the church here long? And he told me how long he'd been there. I said, uh, did you get saved at that church? He said, yes, I did. And he told me uh, when he got saved and shared his testimony. I said, it's wonderful. I turned to his wife, and I said, and when did you get saved? And she said, that's none of your business. I knew then it was going to be a very interesting lunch. And, uh, you know, folks, your salvation is a personal matter, but it should not be a private matter. It's something you ought to tell your spouse. It's something you ought to tell your children. It's something that your grandchildren ought to know. It's something your church ought to know, that you have a no-so salvation. Your pastor 
when he has to do your funeral, wants to be able to say, we know this brother or sister is with the Lord. And they gave clear testimony of that. There needs to be a day. There needs to be a personal faith. But, you know, oftentimes in the Bible, you'll read the term about the faith. And, uh, you know, we need to not only think about the faith of our personal salvation, but we need to think about the faith that I call the principled phase of uh, faith of God's truth. Listen, I believe the Bible's the Word of God. I believe what our Bible teaches us and what we've been taught and the, and the positions that we hold to are very important. And we come to those conclusions. You say, well, that's your opinion. No, it's the faith once delivered. I've been handed something. And I need to stay with that which I've been given and be true to that which has been passed down to me on the basis of God's word. I'm not just some, you know, I, I get a little weary of people always knocking the word tradition. I understand there are man-made traditions that are not rooted in the Bible, but you know, there are some biblical traditions that God has given us that we're to pass on to the next generation. Truth, dear friend, is so important. Our children need to understand that truth is worth living for and it's worth dying for. The truth of God's word shall stand and we don't need to, we don't need to quit because we have the truth. I'm telling you, the world doesn't have the answer. And you study, you look it out, you check it out. Every religion in the world except Bible Christianity is based upon one single doctrine. That's the doctrine of works. What you have to do to get to God. Only Bible Christianity is based on the doctrine of God brought Christ to us and gave us salvation as His free gift. And boy, what a difference that is. I'm not going to heaven because I earned my way in. The fact is, I could never get there on my own. But I'm going to heaven because Jesus paid it all. I can't quit because of the faith. But let me say this, I can't quit because of the family. Well, God's given me a wonderful spouse. I mean, 44 years now she has put up with me as her, as her uh, husband and been willing to follow me wherever God leads. And I'm so grateful for the wife that God has given me. God blessed Miss Graham and I with eight children, and we're thankful for that. And uh, God has been good to us. And we have 20 grandchildren. And I don't mind to tell you, grandchildren are just something else. I mean, we love our kids, but wow, when you become a grandparent, how many of you are grandparents? You know what I'm talking about. You love your children, and you'll never not love your children, but wow, grandchildren? Man, they're so special. They're so uh, exciting. There's just something about it. My dad died, I said, in 2000, and the same week that we buried my dad, we got word that our first grandson was coming, and I wrote a little poem called the, uh, you know, talking about uh, the future and uh, the gift that God had given us in a grandson because, uh, because that, the word that we were going to have a, a grandson told me that even though my dad had gone on to heaven, the lineage was going to go on, that we were going to pass something down to the next generation. And I'm thankful that we have a goodly heritage. And then not only our, our family, our, our grandchildren, and some of you have great-grandchildren, uh, but the flock. What a blessing to be here in God's house today. You understand that the, the church is not the building. We know that. But you're gathering here as God's people, as this local New Testament church, and how vital that is. Isn't it interesting? Now, if I went around the room today and started asking what your favorite, for instance, what your favorite food is, who your favorite ball team is, we could probably get some differences of opinion. If I ask you, you know, your favorite color, we'd hear a rainbow of colors. We're not here today because we're all Cardinal fans. 
But we should be. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I was raised a Cardinal fan. We're, we're not here today because we're all Cardinal fans. We're Cub fans. If there, I think there's a couple of those in the world. But anyway, just kidding. And even among my boys, we have five sons. And uh, growing up, they all had different favorites. So, you know, we're not here because we have the same favorite ball team. But we're not here because we all like the exact same food. I could probably find out something you really love and something you really hate. That's not the basis of our fellowship. We are here based upon the wonderful doctrinal truth of God's Word and believe that God has brought us to this place here as the flock of God. What an exciting thing. What a gift God gave when He gave us the New Testament church. Aren't you glad to be a part of a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching Baptist church? I thank God for that. And I know that we recognize the blessing of that in Mark chapter 4 when they got in a storm. I always love this little phrase there when Jesus told them to get on the ship and they got in that storm and it said there were other little ships also. Could I just remind you that when you and I go through the storms of life, it doesn't just affect us. There's others that are affected. Listen, how I, sometimes people have this attitude, well, if I quit church, it won't make any difference. You are so wrong, you'll never know. Listen, you don't know the hurt and the heartache and the grief that it can bring to another brother or sister of Christ when the devil uh, causes you to get out. You say, well, I could leave and they'd never miss me. Can I tell you something? You're wrong. You're wrong about that. If you're, and I know nobody's thinking about that today, but if the devil ever tempts you to quit serving God and get out of church and it won't make any difference, he's lying to you. It will make a difference. And then not only should we not quit because of the faithful, that is those that came before us. Man, what a heritage we have. I think about the generations of those before us that gave us something. But then not only that, those that are faithful around us. I've already mentioned my dad's in heaven, my dad's preacher's in heaven. Those men made an impact on my life. There are men, like I mentioned, Brother Harold Boyd, that had a big influence in my life when I was a young man, and other preachers, I mean, I could name them by the dozens that have passed on, but even all the way back to the New Testament, you know, my life is still being affected by men that lived in the New Testament. You know, sometimes we'll make this statement when somebody died, well, he went on to his reward. Well, the truth of the matter is, he really hasn't yet. You know, Paul's still clipping coupons, if you want to put it that way. He's still reaping off of the work that he did. I'm still gleaning from the Apostle Paul. I'm still gleaning from Peter's life. I'm still gleaning from Andrew's life. Listen, what those men did for the cause of Christ, it lives on. And what you and I do is not just for this moment, but to affect the generations to come. And so uh, I, want to be, uh, I want to stick by the stuff and not quit because of the faithful ones that went before me and are around me. And then I also want to be faithful because of the fallen. You know, there are people that get out of the will of God. I had a friend of mine many years ago called me and he said, uh, and <laughs> it was interesting, his brother's a preacher and, and uh, was sent out of our church and started a church, but he called me one day and he said, Ken, I just wanted to give you a call. He said, you know, I made some bad decisions several years ago in my life and he said, I'm, I'm going back to church and I've gotten right with the Lord and he said, I just wanted to, tell you how much I appreciate you still sticking by the stuff. And he said, you, and he mentioned Terry Basham, who were friends of his, he said, you guys, he said, I know the word of God is our compass, but he said, even when I wasn't right with God, he said, I always knew that you and Terry were going to be true to the stuff. And that if I was thinking wrong, I could call you guys and you'd say, no, no, that's not the way a Christian should think. 
And he said, I just want to thank you for not changing. Hey, you ever thought about when the prodigal came to himself, what if he said, man, I'll go home to the father, and if dad had said, man, I quit. Aren't you glad when he got home, dad was still what dad was before he left? You and I need to realize there are people that have fallen by the wayside, and you might think they're not watching, but they are. I think about not quitting because of the father who sent his son to die for us. God's been good. I owe him everything. How could I ever turn my back on the one that loved me and gave himself for me? You know, we're blessed. We've had so much discomfort and disappointment through this. But, you know, there are places that I've preached at and people that I've known who have truly, truly suffered for their faith. A friend of mine many years ago, he had been a missionary in China. He's in heaven now. He said, can you imagine being in your church and have them walk in and tell you, deny the Lord or I'm going to kill your children? Imagine them coming in and beginning to slap you in the face and say, deny that there is a, a Jesus Christ or we will put you in prison. I haven't had that happen. be honest with you, what little suffering I've had, dear friend, I really have nothing to complain about. God's been good to me. But I want to be thankful to the one that loved me and gave himself for me. And then let me say, I don't want to quit because of the future. You know, there's a whole lot at stake. We've got a future ahead of us. I don't want to just go to heaven and be content with that. I want to take somebody with me. I want to take my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren when that time comes. And let me close with this, the remedy to keep us from quitting. It's very simple. 2 Corinthians 4.1 Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we've received mercy, we faint not. Verse 16 said, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Whilst, while we look not on the things which are seen, uh, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. God said the way that we're going to make it in this crazy world we're living in is to be renewed day by day. Look, the outward man's perishing. The funny thing about this body is sometimes it and my mind do not agree. You know, my mind still thinks it can do anything it ever did until I try. <laughs> and my body disagrees and says, no, no, you, you can't do that. And I realize that I may try to do it, and it brings great pain. Well, there's a disconnect between what the mind thinks it can do and what the body's in the shape to do. But I would tell you something. He tells us that we're renewed in our mind daily. This outward man perishes, but the inward man's eternal. As a result of that, we need to be renewed day by day. And that renewing comes by His Word. We're to renew ourselves by the Word of God. God's Word daily is what's needed in our... You said, Brother Graham, I've heard that all my life, but it's true. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Jesus said, now are you clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. The word of God will do a work in your heart. And then not only renewed by his word, but revived for his work. When I get renewed in my mind, I get revived in my spirit, and then I can get about my father's business. But this is no time to quit. I don't understand it. You know, there are times when I look at the craziness of our world and I say, you know, I probably would have fit in a different time frame, you know, because I'm so old-fashioned. But you know, God reminds me that He put me here for such a time as this. He put you here for such a time as this. Let's keep on living for the Lord. And no matter what we face, let's realize that we have the truth. 
And let's stand for the faith once delivered. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us today not to be weary in well-doing. And Lord, we do face challenges. And there are many people that have faced heartaches. Lord, we have seen the devastation that's been brought to our nation. Lord, we've personally experienced the death of friends and loved ones and recognize, Lord, the heartaches that can come. And yet we know, God, that you do all things well. I still believe revival is a possibility. And God, we know that you want to do a work in our hearts. Even this week, we pray that you would have your will and way. And we promise to give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.